0: This is the Hemang Pulse, the podcast that allows you to keep your fingers on the pulse of all things hematology. I'm your host, Chaddy Nabhan, a hematologist and a medical oncologist. I appreciate you tuning in, appreciate your support for this podcast and subscribing, liking it, and writing a for you. And I'm here live at the SOHO meeting, the 11th annual SOHO meeting in cool, beautiful, muggy, muddy Houston, Texas. With the one and only dr ellie jabour who would introduce himself in a little bit and we're going to talk about a few things pertaining to myeloid malignancies and also acute lymphoid leukemia
1: ellie welcome to him pulse shadi thank you so much for having me here with you today in houston my hometown
0: yeah it would be nice to have a cooler weather by the way just for the record
1: next time yeah we promise next time it's
0: like 110 degrees here so i'm glad the ac is working in the studio where we are recording this Let's introduce you a little bit to folks who are listening to this podcast so they know who you are.
1: So my name is Eli Jabour. I've been in Houston for 20 years at MD Anderson where I did my fellowship and I joined the faculty. And uh, currently I'm leading the ALL section in my department and my area of research is essentially CML-ALL. In addition, I treat all kinds of leukemias. So I'm very happy to be here with you today, Shadi, to discuss uh, the change yeah. and escape of management of leukemias.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I think we probably want to focus on a couple of things. Um, I I want to talk about ALL a little bit, uh, maybe for 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 about ten minutes and and uh, or so. We may probably do the whole thing about ALL. I, I think there's so many things happening in ALL. The reason I feel this is an important topic is because with newer therapies and what's happening in ALL, there are many patients who are treated in the community versus academic sites. And with that, maybe for folks who don't see a lot of ALL, we need to clarify some of the items that will help managing them. So I'm gonna start by asking you, when you have a patient with ALL, um, how? let's talk about PH-negative ALL, Philadelphia-negative ALL what should the oncologist the hematologist think about when they face this patient how do they approach it
1: sherry if you may allow me i want to change a little bit the way i want to approach this topic Be please uh, historically uh, ALL used to be a bad disease and then the way only to treat these patients were to give them intensive chemotherapy prolonged chemotherapy of uh, induction consolidation maintenance cns prophylaxis and it's something complicated to be done in a community and i think Historically, this patient, and the recently, should be referred to academia, and I still recommend this patient to be sent to academia for clinical trials management. Now, one of the problems when you give prolonged therapy is compliance, is patient dropping therapy and not receiving the appropriate approach, and as such, the relapse rate was high. Today, we have the tools to improve the outcome, and we have the tools to be more targetable than before and shorten therapy. I want to give you one. I want to divide my my my, my summary into two categories: uh, the easiest, the easy leukemia, and the hard leukemia to treat. And the easy leukemia today are the Philadelphia-positive ALL. Historically, these patients. How what's
0: the percent of this? Like how many? Okay,
1: I think ALL is around 50 in pediatric and 15 in adult patients. And with all, uh, this is increasing with age. And with age, we see more Philadelphia-positive ALL. Overall, I think today in the USA, 30% are FedRF positive. That being said, historically, this patient had a very poor outcome. A survival at the long run, 10%. And then we had a transplant. If you can get transplant, you can do well. 40% survival. Keep in mind, the transplant was only for the younger patient. And we know FedRF positive is more for older patients. Therefore, transplant was not an option for a lot of patients. And then we had a tyrosine kinase inhibitors available, we combined them with chemotherapy, yet we had 40-50% survival. One of the problems is, it's intensive chemotherapy, it's prolonged chemotherapy, it's multiple issues, social, economical, emotional, so many things. Today we have a treatment, targetable, uh, target therapy with immune therapy, bulinatomimab an bispecific and ponatinib, for example, one of the best TKIs, we're able to deliver six months of therapy outpatient for a survival at two years of 90%. So not only very effective therapy, a therapy that can be done in the community because today you don't have to put somebody else for months and watch them for complications and dropping chemotherapy. It's only outpatient, six months of therapy, no chemo at all, survival of 90%. That so is a major breakthrough. It
0: is it is a huge breakthrough, but let me let me a little bit dissect that. You mentioned panatinib. Um, uh, you know, when, when folks think, so pH positive, obviously, uh, is, you know, this is because the protein is different than the CML protein. Is ponatinib the proper, the only TKI, I guess, you have to use here or?
1: No, well, Philadelphia positive is characterized by the presence of the translocation 922 that can lead to fusion protein or bcr oncogene. Again, BCR-able oncoprotein that gives the signal for survival of the cancer cells. And then we had multiple TKIs. We had Imatinib as the first generation, then we have Meridazanthib second generation, although nilotinib and bosutinib can both work, and then we have ponatinib third generation. The difference is that when you give the first and the second generation tyrosine kinase inhibitors, you can have resistance driven by the acquisition of a mutation called T3155 that can prevent the binding of the TK to the oncoprotein, and such you have a resistance. And then the second point is, they don't get much deep molecular response that can eradicate the clone that can lead to resistance. So, ponatinib can suppress the emergence of this mutation and, two, can deepen the responses. And in a randomized trial, was found to be superior to other DKIs. Therefore, this is the best DKI to be combined with today. Now, we have no drugs coming, but today we have ponatinib. That being said, one of the problems of ponatinib is the vascular events. People can be concerned about hypertension, MI, vascular events because we've seen that in the past in CML. What we did in ALL, we gave 30 milligram dose, not 45, and we reduced to 15 once we have a good response. By adjusting the dose, we are able to almost eliminate vascular events. That being said, if you have an older patient where you worry about any of these risk problems, you can give ponatinib to induce remission, and later on, maybe switch to other TKIs that can be safer, and maybe we do not need them ponatinib for the long Sure, we can give other TKIs and maybe one day stop
0: TKMs. So let me, again, dissect this a little bit, because that's very intriguing. What you're proposing is by doing ponatinib plus blinga, we are going to avoid the use of chemotherapy, which is a big migration for management of ALL. I mean, I recall when I was seeing patients, it's usually like I start sweating when I get ALL because I know how tough the treatment is. Can you avoid doing prophylactic Intrathecal therapy in this with this combination.
1: No great question. While I'm mentioning chemotherapy free, I still have to give intrathecal chemotherapy uh, because patients do relapse in the CNS and TKIs alone are not good enough. Bulan does not cross the barrier, so we're today we're giving 15 intrathecal chemotherapy. We hope that we were able to eradicate all relapses with CNS with these 15 intrathecal chemotherapy. Otherwise, we have to go back to chemotherapy, but I hope we will not need this. approach.
0: Sure. You finish the six months. Do I need consolidation? Do I need maintenance? Just TKIs. So then you quit the blinah and you just continue ponatinib. Correct.
1: And I follow my patient for MRT by doing uh, BCR for RTPC for BCR and NGS for immunoglobulin signature. And if I mean, if I'm MRD mean the negative, then I'm fine.
0: And if you do that, I mean, you know, out of a hundred patients with ALL, B-H positive, you use this regimen. What's the expectations? Uh, you know, What's the outcome that you did? today?
1: I understand to with the follow up we have at uh, three years, our survival is 90%. 90%, which is of course with the cabbage, we still have a short follow up, we need a longer follow up, but that is the best so far thing, right? No, in uh, we have a longer follow up with the zatin, for example, and the plenative map we have a four year survival of 78%. Based uh-huh. on what we have today, plenitivum is this, superior. Ap-
0: this appears a little bit superior. Uh, There there hasn't been a study, for example, comparing that to hyper-CVAD or anything, right? I mean, this has not been done, and I I recognize the difficulty of doing an RCT, but folks might say, you know, it it hasn't been compared to what we have grown to recognize standard of
1: care. You know, Shadi, it's hard to get randomized trial in this setting. When you have an arm that gives you 90% survival, you're going to compare it to hyper-CVAD and imatinib, or as done in a community where survival is only 50% how you're in a patient, it's very difficult. But that being said, the Italian are doing a randomized trial, randomized trial, comparing blenna to Lotus Chemotherapy and Demetinib. I don't think it's really the best trial, but if you're doing a randomized trial, by all means. I think when you have such an amazing results, we have to write on the phase two studies and not going into phase three.
0: Yeah. Does age matter with this regimen? Because we mentioned with age you get, but let's say, you know, like a 50-year-old versus a 7-year-old with the ponatinib plus blina.
1: You know, in a study we did, the median age was 56-year-old and 40% are 60 years and older. So, in fact, it does favor older patients because they cannot get chemotherapy. Yeah. So, and younger patients are doing well as well. So, age is not a problem anymore. Yeah.
0: So now the tough one, the pH negative.
1: But right? that, before I go to the tough one, I want to I discuss the young patient, ALL who pH negative.
0: PH, so pH negative, younger versus older.
1: Correct. So the easy leukemia are the, well, what they are to the easy leukemia are the Philadelphia positive
0: right.
1: and the pH negative younger patient these patients define younger though you know you know we're not getting yeah, any younger well younger than me and young. you right <laughs> no 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 no. Uh, we are still young as long as our age is in this categories we we're young yeah. so younger essentially in my divide in my book is six years and younger okay and 16 years and older this older patients. so nobody define it clearly some people are 55 some people are 60 none that is, whatever they define it we are young so that being said, uh, the treatment has four arms, four four elements. Number one is induction. Number two is consolidation to deepen the response. Number three is to do maintenance for two years and a half, and number four to prevent sinus relapse. So these are the four elements of the treatment. Okay. Now, in this category, there is a different subset of patients, uh, and I'm going to talk about B cell here. We have the standard B cell and we have the, what's called the Philadelphia-like Philadelphia-like is they don't have the chromosome, but when you do RNA expression on this patient, gene expression, they have the same expression profile like PH positive. Now it's a spectrum of diseases characterized by some rearrangement that can lead to kinase activations and bad outcome. We It's around 30 percent of adult ALL have PH-like ALL, and it still can have a very poor outcome. Okay, now today for this patient we can go for transplant in first revision. and of course you have the bad features such as low hypodiploidy, complex, ALL. these are the poor players. Historically, survival was 40, 50, 60% all comers. Of course, 60 for the good players, 40 and 30 for the bad players. The novelty here is we're integrating immunotherapy upfront. Today, when you relapse in ALL, you get renatirumab, anitizumab, CAR T cells. Yet the outcome is good, but not amazing. So we thought, why we need to wait for the relapse to happen? Why not integrating this immunotherapy upfront? It allow us to deepen the responses, uh, spread into intensive chemotherapy and transplant, and improve the outcome. So, we designed a study with the hypertubular blanine, and later on, we added anatismab. The study is maturing so nicely. Later I mean
0: consolidation? No, right? no, we
1: amended the study to mm-hmm. add anatismab. What we did, we shortened intensive chemotherapy from eight cycles to four, and the maintenance from three years to 12 courses of maintenance. With pump, traditional pump, and we add a blend as part of the maintenance approach. Our four year survival is 82%. Historically, it used to be 60%. So wow. we had at least 25% increase in overall survival, which is amazing. We did a study ourselves at MD Edison, and therefore there was a randomized study that we learned the results last December where immunotherapy upfront. In MRD-negative remission, get you a survival of 80%. So we are really improving survival by integrating immunotherapy upfront and improve, this, improve the outcome.
0: So, so help help listeners, and I want to make sure that you know. Obviously, the listeners are you know they don't see as many LL as as you do. When you say MRD-positive versus negative, how does this work in pH-negative disease? Like so we what, measure, what clone are you looking so
1: at? So we measure MRD. There's two ways to measure MRD. multiple ways. But in PH negative, what is done in USA as standard is flow cytometry, Close and enough. you look for aberrant cells, aberrant phenotype present, which usually we don't see in people. That is how we measure MRD. But that is has a, it's a limitation for two reasons. Number one, you need an operator, the operator who has mm-hmm. expertise to do that. Number two is it's not so deep. You are looking at the thousand cells or ten thousand cells at best. And we know that even if you respond and your MID negative at this level, so the later rate is still 40%. That tells me my test, my test is not so great. So we move to another test uh, by what you call NGS. Essentially, we look at the emulogram receptor on a B cell, so the emul receptor, on a T cell, the T cell receptor. Okay? This allows us to go to a million cells among a million to assess for disease. But in order to do so, you need to establish what's called clonality. It means you need to establish the clone up front and track it down the road. So patient will have to send the sample at the baseline, establish clonality, and once you respond, get a sample and like a barcode, and you can follow this patient and see how right. much they're responding. We've shown that this concordance rate means you are flow negative, of the patient is flow negative, 35 to 40% are NGS and they the relapse. Therefore, the goal is to get to a point to eradicate the disease at a million and 10 million. Then you can say, well, my NG, my MRD is so relevant. Okay. Then you can predict with 90% that those who respond early on and achieve this level of response are the outliers that, who will not relapse.
0: So for pH negative... Younger folks, what we're proposing is the you know, kind of almost putting everything together, almost. I mean, you putting everything like the, the and Lena, I, I know. know less chemotherapy, less chemotherapy, but you kind of like putting all of your guns um, at the same time. What are and we're expecting 80 percent at four years,
1: 85 percent survival, 85
0: yes. percent at four years. Um. I mean, you know, we probably won't have time to talk about the real life. Cause what I else? What's left? Well, I, well, at least the older pH, negative.
1: Well, because before I go there, I hear people telling me, for example, well, what's what I have left for when patient have
0: Well, let's finish that. Okay. That was my question, okay. but I'm not going to ask you yet. I so for the younger
1: patient, we are at 85% survival. Shadi, pediatric ALL is success story. Mm-hmm. Kids are cured from ALL. Adults, for a long time, they were way behind. 60, 50% survival. No, we can say the level of cure in adult patients is paralleling what you've seen in pediatric, which is a major success. Can you imagine today we we'll live in a moment where we can cure this disease? We'll tell our children, our children No, it's really made amazing. It. I mean, it's I, just, I. It's, I, uh... it's mind blowing. I'm so thrilled and happy to be in a time where we're doing this research and we're changing the life of people. Now, going to the older ALM. I mean, older
0: question. pH negative.
1: Let's do older. Yes, correct. These are tough patients because these patients have a very poor disease, from a biology point of view, and a very poor tolerance to chemotherapy. They can't take chemotherapy. You know, you need intensity. So, in a seer data from the USA in Medicare, survival is seven months. See how bad the survival. That's terrible. Then we said, well, from big academia like MD Anderson or Germany or France or any other places. The survival is 15 months and a very high rate of death in CR. So then as we said, we're gonna design low-dose chemotherapy, we're gonna use this immune therapy up front, and to see this immunotherapy being so effective and more no need for intensive chemotherapy, maybe we can make change, make it make a difference. So we designed something called low-dose chemotherapy, mini plus iNO and And we have patients. INO
0: and Pono, Low-dose
1: chemotherapy and another combination as induction phase. And then the second phase will be consolidation with the blina yeah. And then a short maintenance. We did such, We did this trial and we have 80 patients. We have published in last oncology, last hematology this year. And we've shown that response rate is universal. The five year survival is 50%. Contrasting with almost 5% a few years ago. So huge progress. Huge progress. And the progress mainly seen in a group of patients who are 60 to 70 where we have a five-year survival of 65%, which is really great. And then we compare this data to historical hyper c and we show doubling and survival, which is great. No, 70 years and older, yet they are better than older than historical data, still we have a decent here But what we discovered here, two kind of deaths, Not from relapses, so some from relapses, of course, but mainly from infectious, because they still have low immune, back, very bad immune system and they, they have complications, COVID and others. Second is emerg- emergence of myeloid disorders, AML.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this, we didn't see it before because patients did not live long enough to have the AML. No, they're living long enough, they're getting AML uh, developed. So we decided that we do not need chemotherapy for this patient, we're testing a new concept of chemotherapy free where we do map and map, purely immunotherapy alone
0: without chemo without
1: chemo for 70 and older of course survival at one year is 80% and there's an ongoing study by the alliance cooperative groups showing same things it's mind-blowing to give no chemotherapy to have a great survival now that being said it's still too early to draw a solid conclusion but that's why we're moving we're moving toward less chemotherapy integration of TKI in immunotherapy with so far very promising results. So, the tough leukemias are past today, the easier leukemia are the pH positive in young patient, and the older I will say today, they are intermediate and favorable compared to what we had before.
0: So, so if, I have, if I have to ask you, <coughs> in ALL, what are the top three unanswered questions or burning questions for ALL researchers that when you guys get together think, okay, what are the, because you're not gonna improve on 90%. There are certain limits to how much you can go. I mean, you'd like to get 100%, but we have to be realistic. What are the top three questions, unanswered questions in ALI?
1: Well, this is what I want to address at SOHO, actually. And I want to say to you that my next question is, number one, to prevent CNS relapses.
0: CNS relapses.
1: Chemotherapy alone, is it good enough? Intrathecal or still systemic chemotherapy. This is one question. Second question is, are we ready to walk away from chemotherapy? In all PHYDL, yes, no, very likely, yes. But how about other leukemias? Can we de intensify chemotherapy and get it of the lung maintenance in favor of obdina, anotizumab, and modification with with NGS? That is something that remains to be proven at the long run. And then my thing, my, my, my major thing as well, is I wanna not only decrease chemotherapy, but walk away from transplant. And here I have the CAR T cells then eventually can replace my allotransplant. And what I will do is, my my major focus and concern for the future, and it remains to be answered, is I want to design a low dose chemotherapy, but mainly immunotherapy approach upfront, and for high-risk patients, instead of going for allotransplant, do CAR-T consolidation, and transform a chemotherapy from three years and a half years to six months of therapy. Make treatment available to all comers, Mm -hmm. at all places, six months of therapy, and at all.
0: Yeah. So in the last few minutes um, is really what we were starting to allude to, which is relapse disease. I think we, obviously, it's not an excuse not to use the most effective regimen in the first line, but obviously there are concerns that whatever clones emerge at the time of relapse may be very resistant. And a lot, of, a lot of folks who are listening understand that the options, usually CAR T or allogenic transplant, which obviously vary based on age and other things. Are these the things now you're offering these patients in the relapse setting, or are you looking at newer drugs, novel therapies in relapse disease?
1: Well, you know, I go to an award to win, but I'm not going to have a second chance. I think my best approach to cure leukemia is always up front. my front line and not for relapse. No. In the relapse setting, I think there are many options available, but I think the best use of these options is to use them as early as you can, don't wait for multiple failure. And therefore today, if my immunotherapy is upfront, my second line or my MRD setting, I want to use CAR T cells. That being said, is why I want to treat my ALA patients. No, there's of course no therapies available and I'm coming down the road. Uh, among them, for example, we start with the which is bi-specific CD19, CD3. Uh, I have Q formulation. Seem to be more potent and more practical to be given. I have tri specific targeting CD19, 22, and 20, uh, CD19, 22, and CD3, or even tetra specific CD19, CD20, CD22, CD3. Uh, I have bcl 2 inhibitors available. There's a lot of things coming down the road, but I think that it's narrowing and narrowing and narrowing because my frontline therapy is getting so good that they have less relapses. And hopefully, I will have zero relapse on the road. But That's that what we hope for. Optimistic.
0: Look, this was really excellent. I would say this is the quickest way to summarize the advances in acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And um, I appreciate you spending some time with me on the hemonk Pulse. Folks, you just listened to the best ALL synopsis on the HEMonk Pulse from Dr. Eli Jabour. Signing out of here, Dr. Shadi Nabhan, your host from soho from houston texas until next time thank you hey and don't forget to subscribe rate review if you want a new book check out my book toxic exposure the true story behind the monsanto trial and the search for justice